Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 125 with Brad Dieter on the podcast today as our guest. We've had Brad on before and he's a good friend of ours, so we talked a bunch about his thoughts on maybe tech and disruption and how future trends in technology may affect our industry. We talk about his project, the new launch of NutriWiki with Macros Inc. that he's now the COO of. A lot of talk about tools to empower better coaching for people and not necessarily looking at the tech stuff to be the answer, but how tech can enhance a coach's ability to be better at the job and uh, how approaching everything with a positive attitude can make a big difference in your career and your life. Uh, stay tuned and enjoy. Shut up and sit down. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Sometimes when I start these, you can hear I'm laughing and that's because of the bullshit that we were talking about before we went on air. We've got Brad Dieter on. He's one of our great friends and our absolute favorite, favorite guests from the industry. Um, if you're newer to the podcast, you haven't heard the old episodes, well, Brad's a PhD. We like to rub that in, the fact that he's a PhD. He's a very smart man. Uh, he's smarter than he is good looking. And if you go look at pictures of him, he's extraordinarily good looking. He also happens to be the COO of Macros Inc. And he also does his research work with as the director of Harness Equine Science. I really hope I didn't fuck that up. And lives in Spokane, Washington. So it's great to have you back, brother. Thanks for having me on, gentlemen. It's uh, always a pleasure to be back. I feel like having a PhD, like the reason why I make fun of it, it's like your badge of honor is like a lifetime of debt. Like, yeah, you know, like, and then we say you're smart. It's like, well, are you actually smart? Like, oh, a lot of money to just throw away at researching. I think we, I don't even. He's not going to reveal this, but I think you're one of the people who was actually publicly really clever about how you approach business in the fitness industry to the point where the the debt wasn't really an issue for very long. So, yeah, the best part is a lot of your PhD programs are uh, are actually covered. So, oh, I didn't know that. You uh, research assistantships. I mean, you basically get you get paid. You get paid enough that you can like buy a can of tuna a week, but you don't. You get your uh, your tuition paid for, so it works out. It's like why everyone that takes these programs like they they all of a sudden like go from like studs in the gym because like they're all in the fitness, and then like three years later, like yeah, like I just lost it. So let's, I, I'm gonna we're gonna post. maybe and maybe I guess you might have done that. We're gonna post some brag. <laughs> anyone who's been listening, we might get told how we banter with our male guests differently than our female guests. We like to pick on Brad, so is. The fact that you could only afford one can of tuna a week, the reason why you're not as jacked as, say, Christian Thibodeau or some of our other guests? Um, I wish that was the excuse. The other excuse just might be, I uh, just don't care enough. <laughs> you look lean. Like, like, oh, yeah. Drew, if you got a tan, you would look like a fitness model. Like, you got the, <sighs> the slender look. Yeah, I should probably live in a part of the country that gets more sun than I do if I want to be tan. Well, it's, I mean, like, we, we could point out the fact that, you know, you're, you're almost as jacked as James Krieger. Yeah. <laughs> I would say you look better. I'm not, nearly as, I'm not nearly as loud as James, though. J James looked not bad, but, like, when we had his podcast, so anyone who's listening, we can we have videos of it. James was, like, in a dark, lit room with, like, his fucking computer screens, and, like, it looked like, it, you looked like a computer hacker. Like, you were... <laughs> So I mean, James, I'd rather look like you. James is a computer hacker. I'm convinced. I, he was he was making money during the podcast, like because he was doing his day trading, and like you could all of a sudden see like his eyes would go like, oh my god. <laughs> we'll we'll just start referring to him as uh, like Gordon Greco or something. Yeah, I like it. 
Cool. So uh, obviously we haven't talked in a little bit. We've had you on. We've actually had you on. I think it's the fourth time. You're on solo. We had you on with James once, and we had you on with uh, Mike De Nelson once as well. So you're one of yeah. the kind of done the most interesting route of our episodes. So more recently, you are now working with uh, Macros Inc. along with Jay White, and you guys recently launched uh, Nutri Nutri Wiki. So do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? And what's sort of the plan and, and how you guys are going to change the world with NutriWiki? Yeah, so, uh, you know, one of, the, one of my approaches to a lot of the industry stuff is, you know, one is how do, we, how do we solve problems and how do we fill gaps? And the other one is how do we make education approachable to people? Um, so one of the things that we wanted to do is I think there's, you know, there's very much the like popular culture articles that are written, um, you know, that are easy for people to read and understand and that people like to read. Um, and then there's like the very research heavy, intensive, you know, writing that, you know, is kind of geared more towards the practitioner. Um, and so what we wanted to do was we wanted to take like all of the scientific stuff we could and boil it down into very condensed, um, consumable stuff. Right. So can, somebody like me take all the literature on a specific topic and boil it down to one to two paragraphs and just make that available to people. Um, you know, because a lot of times people just want the truth in a sentence or two and they don't need the whole explanation. So the idea with the NutriWiki was to take all of this knowledge we have in the background and just make it very condensed, very consumable and very available to people. Um, so if they have questions, you know, like, how much protein do I really need to consume in a day? Like, here's the very short, very clear answer we have. Um, you know, do I need to take vitamin D? Here's the very short, very clear answer you need to have. And not, you know, a huge exposition, but just something that you can pull up on your phone whenever you need to and answer your question. Uh, somewhere to go with this too is like, I talked about like scarcity mindset stuff, but like in terms of a business is obviously like if you give everyone all the information, like your whole fitness business is going to collapse. Like what's your kind of take on that? Cause like this is basically educating people and it's not, a, is it a conflict of interest? Like where, where are you guys at with that? Um, you know, I don't really see educating your clients as a conflict of interest or like, you know, putting a barrier to your product. I think if anything, what it does is it, allows you to spend more of your time when you're coaching clients actually coaching clients right so instead of answering all of their questions all the time about stuff that doesn't really matter you can be like hey here's a full resource that's free so when you're a client when you're not a client you can go answer your questions i'm here as a service provider to care about you and to help actively coach you and not just google a link and send it to you and you ask me a question um so what we kind of view it as you know a tool that allows our coaches to coach more and be less of, you know, Hey Alexa, how much vitamin D should I take in a day? Right? So it's, it's trying to give them free up their bandwidth to be better coaches. It's kind of how we view that. And then the other piece is, you know, it's a great tool to bring eyes to your company, right? If people have questions that they want answers to now, they know who we are from a free tool we've given those people. It's crazy. It's like we talk about that with training, but it's like, Oh, like all these online templates and programs is going to like, totally kill the fitness industry and all this shit. And like that never happens because like at the end of the day, the product is the in-person experience. And now we're having conversations about like, is free information gonna ruin the online training industry? And like, as you were saying, if anything, it just helps it. Free 
free information has been something that most of the successful coaches have been putting out in abundance for a very long time. I don't think all of a sudden an app that condenses this down is suddenly going to break the industry uh, or people going, well, I don't need my coach anymore because I got to answer these. How questions. much did the name cost? Like, How much there's did... no way that wasn't stolen already. Like, new, like that's such a good name. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. Maybe we did steal it and I'm just completely unaware of it, but uh, just please don't send me a cease and desist letter. I've dealt with enough lawyers in the last few years. <laughs> what I thought about was like, I know it says NutriWiki, but like I keep thinking like NutriLeaks, like what's all the secret fitness industry <laughs> bullshit that like no one, we won't tell people. It's like, oh, like protein actually, you don't actually need it at one gram. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's, what's, what's this guy, what's Julian Assange, is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Brand Eater becomes the Julian Assange of the fitness industry. Yep. Man, yeah. you could like just, and basically all it would be doing would be like blasting Gary Cobbs, like, oh, like this is, and it would just be like a blast <laughs> thing. It's like, listen, these are all the, the, the charlatans and here's why, oh man. Hack, hacking <laughs> emails and, and releasing them. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to get, we'll have to get uh, the Krieger involved in the hacking piece. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we'll find out that David Avocado Wolf was right about everything all along and the food game. <laughs> It's all a, just a giant conspiracy from the rest of us to oh, shut these people down. But like, that's where my mind went. It's not that it was like good information. I was like, oh, like NutriLeaks would have been such a good, <laughs> just because of like all the bullshit that's out there would have been hilarious. I actually think it would have been a great name anyway too, but you guys got a good one. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we'll, uh, we'll do like an onion type yeah, of site called, awesome. called NutriLeaks. <laughs> you know, honestly though, that would do so well because like people love bullshit. Like in terms of, because all the bullshit, like it sounds super sexy. It's like, oh, all you need to do is have like two oranges and like that's going to be a cut diet. Two oranges a day, you get all your micronutrients and you'll like lose weight. People would love that. It would go so viral. You just have I to like connect your company from it. Like you'd have to have a new company that sold templates for like shitty, like detox diets. Well, Maybe I'll get JP Sears to run it. He'd be funny. He'd be fantastic. <laughs> well, he did, he did, he did this video no, about Spokane. So well. Yeah. Right? So I guess you guys are getting a ton of mileage on this. So uh, Brad is, oh, yeah. lives in Spokane with a lot of our other friends, and you know, we'll probably talk about the um, the I. What? Jeez, I can't even say it right now. The uh, Inland Empire IEFC Fitness Conference that Tim, our, our good friend, is hosting. And so JP Sears, who's a that famous redhead guy with long hair who does all the satirical yoga and and vegetarian stuff, fitness stuff. So he did a video on Spokane. So of course I know that was shared immensely amongst our community because of course we all have. You guys are up there or we have ties to it because uh, we gather there every year for this event. You know what, fuck it, let's actually just throw that out there right now about, you know, what's what you guys got planned for the Inland Empire Fitness Conference, because uh, I guess it's mid-May this year. Yeah, so we, we moved it back a couple weeks. Normally it's in April this year, it's in May. Um, we've got a another great lineup of speakers coming in. We've got some really interesting people who are going to be speaking um, on things like client retention, you know, whether that's online or for in-person facilities, which will be, which will be pretty cool. We have a bunch of new speakers who are coming in to talk about topics that haven't been covered before. Um, and then just like every year, it's getting a little bit better and uh, a little more organized and formal. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So we always, we always have a good time and it's always a good group of people. And, I'm looking forward to it. It's always one of my highlights every year. We're talking about off air that you're going to see both a lot of the stronger you community and a massive influx of the macros ink people are all going to descend upon this thing and blow it up. Well, the cool thing is like a lot of these conferences are getting the attention of people that do want to get better. 
which and the speaker lineup allows like the business aspect of a lot of these people's personal businesses to get better as opposed to just learning about this one training fact like you're kind of covering a lot of things that will help people in their businesses which yeah. is interesting who's on the lineup because i know there was a bunch of names that i wasn't familiar with but sounded great uh you're speaking james krieger's speaking sarah ashman is speaking who else is on that list um i think uh reese manchester's coming back um yeah yeah charlie mcmillan um i think jeff Futch is speaking i man i'm trying to remember the whole list of people. Chad Landers um, is going to MC it, and Chad's Chad, okay. and Chad Chad's emceeing. Um, I Jeff Snow, who spoke the last few years, I don't think he's he's oh, having he's a. Well, he's got a baby on the way. Yeah, so I don't think he's coming. Um, I can't remember the list off the top Tara, of my head. Tim's wife Tara Arndt is speaking, right? Yep. Yeah, she's. I, yep, yep. I believe she's speaking too. So yeah, it's going to be. It'll be a good lineup of speakers. Melody Schoenfeld. Sure. Oh yep, yeah, yeah, she's coming back. She's coming back. Andrew knows it better than you. It's crazy. I know. I know. It's it's like my brain my brain has to compartmentalize things, and when I'm not thinking about it, I just forget about it. Tim's gonna hear this and just be horrified that you missed an opportunity cool. to pop it up more. But guys, if you are interested in this event, it is in May. It is in Spokane. Uh, I've been to the last two, and they're really, really a blast. There's a lot of really <laughs> people there, so uh, you can find on. It'll be shared all over the social media network that we have. Tim Arts is the the guy who organizes it, he's a really great <laughs> So Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, Greg Knuckles is coming this year, finally. Yeah, of course. He's going to yeah. make it out. And uh, Jeb yeah. uh, Stewart Johnson. John yeah. Johnston. I better correct Johnston. you because he always corrects me and he's very is, angry about it. Is Lee Peel on the list of this one? Because I think Lee's – no, Lee's in Kansas City. Yeah, she's no, she's not She's yeah. not speaking this year. She came two years ago, I think. Yeah, um, no, Lee's at uh, Kansas City, and so is Greg, because it's funny, because we had Greg and Greg Knuckles and Lee Peel both speak at our event here in Edmonton last September. So those two are really making their rounds and all this stuff. And I know Melody's coming up here in June, along with Nick Tuminello for a oh, cool. NCA provincial thing that a friend of mine, Jeff Aker, puts on here every year. Yeah. So it's cool. That we've got a big event coming up in the fall. We've talked about a lot of the Evolved Canadian Strength Symposium. I'm not going to get into too much detail, but it's good. We got all the plugs. We got out a of shit way. ton of stuff going on. We got show. all the, the plugs out of the way, so like now we can talk real shit. <laughs> it's like the Joe Rogan show, right? First 20 minutes are ads, and then let's actually talk about something important. They're really long. <laughs> I don't even know if this is an ad, though. Like, I wanted to make the NutriLeaks joke since you re released it, so I just didn't want to do it on Facebook because then it's like, oh, who's this fucking dick? It's good for like, why would you bring it down? And like, I wasn't bringing it down. It was just funny. Like, no one thought that. Like, someone thought that. I always walk a line with this stuff. And, and anyone who's listened to us for a while probably knows we tend to jump right into things. But at the same time, you know, you can't help but notice that we are very good friends with a, a lot of our guests. And so it's a chance to catch up, too. And I always want to make sure that it doesn't sound like an inside joke too much where the listener feels excluded from it. But... At the same time, it's also not robotic, uh, whereas you, you hear the oh, podcast that are saying Great, great segue. Speaking of robotic, we <laughs> okay. talked about our industry disruption and tech trend in our first episode. Uh, Andrew loved this because we just we were on a podcast, I want to say like a half an hour ago, yeah. and he, he wanted to talk about AI, and we had a discussion on like what AI was, and it went to this like movie talk. Anyways, technology is rapidly evolving. Do you see anything that promises to radically change your industry in the next several years and what should trainers be paying attention to? Yeah, you know, this is a, this is a big question. And I think a 
one of the answers is I have no idea, um, you know, because if, if I knew like what the big tech disruption was, I'd probably be building it so I could retire on a yacht and invite Dean yeah. out every once in a while. Yeah. Um, me. But, you know, I think what I'm starting to see is technology that connects people more um, in terms of like, you know, making relationships better, like between coaches and clients is starting to, you know, those are the things that are starting to pop up. Like we're seeing a lot of these, these apps and stuff that make online coaching more effective. Um, and I think some of the things that we're going to start seeing are technology that uses kind of some of this like AI and machine learning to help people change habits. You know, like think about, you know, one of the examples is, you know, how many times do you like get in your car and your phone is like, Hey, it's 15 minutes to work. And it's like, how does it know I'm going to work? Well, you know, it's Monday at 7am and you're getting in your car and every other Monday at 7am when you get in your car, you're going to, you know, the gym. So, you know, technology that's around that, that kind of, you know, adjust behavior based on, you know, feedback of like, Hey, it's, you know, Friday at five o'clock, here's some dinner suggestions where you can go that are like healthier options, right? If your goals are weight loss or, you know, things that kind of change your environment and your habits. I think that's the type of technology that we're going to start seeing. I think it's pretty clear that, you know, things like food loggers and stuff like that are really helpful tools for coaches, but it's pretty clear that my fitness pal did not solve the obesity problem. Right. So, so they fucked it up. They started adding in workout calories. Yeah. Like, yeah. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> that was one of those things. I was like, ah, oh, that's the least helpful thing you can do. Like you're literally, but it's not though. If you think about a weight loss app, like if people are gaining weight, like they have to stay on it longer. Like it's, 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 that's a neutrally bullshit. That should be on neutrally's. That conversation in the background when they were like in that meeting being like, let's fuck these. It's like when they add weight on scales and gyms. Like, oh, we gotta, yeah. I gotta go more. Anyways, sorry. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I think that's probably one of the next waves of technology we're going to see. You know, um, we're starting to see some of the like, you know, mindfulness apps like, uh, calm and headspace and stuff like that that have become popular i think we'll start to see some things around like healthy lifestyles and some of those things that can kind of dictate and push behavior um based on some of that stuff i think we'll see i think we've learned a lot of what drives people's online behavior from things like facebook and instagram and um just like you know just for one example we've learned you know you log in to your twitter or your facebook to check your notifications right? Because it's like, do I have one notification or four notifications or, you know, this kind of variable input. We know that things like that cause people's behavior to change. So we'll probably start seeing technology geared around that for ch changing some health behaviors. You were actually, let's, let's just point something. I don't know if you guys have heard this, but apparently a long time ago at Facebook, one of the most significant things they did to drive up, keep the time people stayed on the site was switching the color of the no notification number from blue to red. I don't know if you guys have yeah, that heard was, the history of that one. Yeah, and then the like button came, or the heart, right? That came later, The because it was always just a like button, and then they gave you the option to laugh, or hate it, or love it, or whatever. But no, just this simple act of changing the color of the notification from blue to red had a massive effect on user behavior and staying on the website. Yeah. And you know, what's really interesting is when you start to get into these like large social media platforms is even, you know, something like changing the color, maybe it influences behavior one to 2%, but over a, you know, 
2 billion users, that's a big increase in, yeah. you know, and, and activity on a platform. And that change, that definitely does change behavior. Well, it's just like, there's so much data. I think this is where like the talk can go wherever, but there's so much data from those platforms. Like you're saying that it's hard not to draw conclusions. Like, yeah, they're never going to be proven, but like in statistically, like you said, 1% of whatever, 4 billion on Instagram for that shit. Like that's a lot of people. So they can, can distill that information down to the fitness stuff. Like my fitness pal, if it tracked steps and like behaviors and all this stuff, you can kind of start to, I don't know, tailor that equation, like we call it like the, what is the energy restraints model, but like they can almost switch macros and movement that kind of push people the other way. But that would be a constantly learning platform. That'd be hard. But we are getting almost all the data. It's just they're not all in one place. Yeah, and you know what? Yeah, and we we built, you know, technology around that, right? To pull all that stuff in. And you know, the 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 biggest eye-opening things that I learned from three or four years of just basically looking at data like that every day right it was like it was like that scene from the matrix where they were sitting there and like just seeing the numbers and he's like i don't even see numbers right um you, you really start to, i mean when you look at you know thirty thousand people's food logs over you know three years and their physical activity logs and you just see it it's really interesting what people think they're doing and then what they're actually doing right and it's very very different um and the biggest things you learn is just people are all over the place, right? Like their lives are not like this. It is all like day to day. It's just crazy different and month to month and people's lives cycle through stuff. And so, yeah, it's really interesting to see that type of data. Is there, I guess, what's not the solution, but like if you're looking at creating stuff like that, how do you kind of start to fix that problem? I know that's a huge problem, but like on the micro level, like what are companies like Macros Inc. doing to kind of combat you know, the big thing is like realizing that humans are very messy people, right? Like your lives are just in, in trying to like put it in a box and quantify everything. And I don't think that's the solution, right? The solution is how do you have good active coaching skills and how do you direct people to navigate those periods, right? Like it's not going to be very effective to try to just level out everybody's life, right? Because it's just never going to work. How do you how do you help people navigate those periods of things just being super crazy and then those periods where you can be hyper consistent um, and trying to help people navigate those things just through really good you know having a good understanding of you know nutrition science exercise science and then you know psychology like how do you how do you coach somebody through difficult situations? Well, I don't think you can replace that with like maybe at some point they'll be able to replace that with technology, but like we were talking AI the last time and they could learn and give stuff like that. But there's some part of me that will always feel like it's not as personal and like emails already not personal. So we were talking about doing voice memos and stuff, but that's just a coaching skill. I don't think you can teach a system to be like a personable coach. Like then we're talking like real AI shit where now we have like robots. And you stuff. just hit on something really important. And maybe this is the best advice to any of the coaches listening is, is don't seek out a system as much as, you know, Brad, you're saying develop better coaching skills. You can, and TJ, uh, sorry, uh, PJ, I was thinking there's two T-Nation writers, TJ Custer and PJ Street. We just had PJ Street on the last episode. We're talking uh, online coaching with him, but he's big on just being a world-class coach in general, especially in the online space and doing these things like the voice memos. 
but yeah, use, we talked about using the technology, the platform, the online coaching platform and everything else you can to, for, and like you said, with uh, NutriWiki, free up the bandwidth to be an amazing coach. And that ultimately should be the thing. I don't think you can ever hack out or systemize the act of coaching the human being. Yeah, and you know what I, one of the like, examples I always like to give our coaches or you know people who especially are going from you know in person work to online is like how many of your interactions with your clients are they just want you to listen to them, right? Like, and that solves ninety percent of their problem is just being there to listen and you know an app or talking to a robot at least anytime in the next ten years is not going to fill that gap, right? Yeah, it's like it's like with manual therapy or like massage. Like at this point, they've proven like they're not changing any tissue quality at the physiological level, especially with a lot of the practices. But the fact that they're in a safe environment where people are touching them, like you can't replace that. Yeah, you can't quantify what that does, but like it works for that person. So it's it's like you said, that's the equivalent of they just want to be heard. Like they just want someone there for support, and even just the the presence of support and safety is enough to kind of push some of these changes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we've ever done that in the history of 120. This off. Actually, this is episode 125. So it's kind of well, miles. It just shows like it's a short little. But it's kind of where the industry is going. Like at this point, there's a lot of studies done, and there's a lot of shit. But we're like with Nutra Wiki. I keep wanting to say leaks. Nutra leaks. We're we're starting to be able to distill a lot of the information, not necessarily as fact, but as good recommendations. And like a lot of the leading people in the fitness industry are like. It's almost a lot of the stuff is getting distilled down to simplicity, even though it's like informed by complexity. It's that we can say yup because we're all saying the same shit, and like a lot of the guests we have on say the same shit because we're all informed by pretty good stuff at this point. And it's hard to be sexy when it's like literally that easy. It's a lot of text. Yep. Yeah, and, and a lot of what you do is like you go through your career and you sort through and you figure out all this complexity and you realize doesn't matter how smart I am or how good at my job I am. I can't figure all this out. And how can I pull out what I need to and then actually implement it? And well, most of the time, it's super simple. Yeah, and like a lot of the time, we have a, we've had a lot of guests, and just even from personal experiences, a lot of it comes down, not, I don't want to say all the psychology, but it's like you can have a base level expertise, and that's good enough for most of the gen pop people that we're dealing with. You don't need to be a fucking PhD like Brad to give good <laughs> nutrition advice. But at the end of the day, like the coaching aspect is the psychology and that almost becomes more important than a lot of these very complex theories about nutrition and training. Like a lot of that shit doesn't matter as much if you can't get them to do anything. Yeah. yeah. Most of the books that we're reading that are really influencing nutrition coaching or you know, personal training coaching are still books on psychology, habit change, and human behavior, right? Look at the stuff like what the Chip and Dan Heath write, all those books, a book like Switch. That's the stuff that's really important. There's not that many books in our space about the technical nuance of nutrition. Sure, that information is out there, but coaches more and more are leaning towards you know, learning more information about actually how to talk to and help change people's behavior. Yeah, and there's also a big piece of it that it doesn't matter how many books you read, it's it's how much experience you have working with people, right? Um, I think one of the hard parts about reading a lot of books like that is they're always written from the perspective of somebody who's at the end of the road, right? Like, even if you think about like 
entrepreneur books where people are like, oh, here's how I built my empire, is they're always written once they've got there, right? And then they reflect back on all this stuff that they did that worked. Um, but sometimes you get there despite what you do and not because of what you do, right? And so especially with like human psychology books is they usually have a lot of really good like nuggets and kernels of truth in there, but you can't replace experience of like living and working with people um, with just a stack of textbooks, right? Like you can really get some like, oh, here's how I should navigate this situation. But there's also a lot of experiential knowledge that I think just has to be developed. Um, this is actually maybe a good question for you, uh, just because I was listening to a Mark Fisher podcast, my buddy James, but they were talking about this idea of like, because Mark reads fucking a million books, but he, he was giving advice. Like he's like, I, that's not the advice I give to most people because they can't actually start to create action from that. So like, do you have any advice for people like that, that are into all this stuff and how they can, I guess, be more actionable with information that they have, as opposed to seeking out more of the same shit, I guess, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I think at some point you you need to just take one or two core ideas or theses or philosophies and then just start brutally implementing them and see how they work, right? Um, like, let's just take a really popular example, like uh, Extreme Ownership. Like, that book was really popular for several years. Like, instead of taking that and then reading a whole bunch of other leadership books, maybe take that one philosophy and implement that for six to 12 months of your life in every situation and then see what comes back, right? And like actually take that and use it instead of being like, okay, I'm gonna read this book and then 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 six years later, you're 200 books in and you're like, I got a billion different things I can use but I haven't used any of them in the last six years. I mean, now you're, you're maybe more confused than six years later. It's funny you use that example because we actually, I brought that book and that example up in our last podcast with PJ. And it's actually one of the most key underlying ways that I approach a lot of how I deal with my clients and my business. And I am someone, as, as I think most listeners know, who goes through a lot of books like Mark, like Luca Osmar. And I, I think you're right. Not everybody can do that. But just because someone goes through a lot of books, and I, I do it because I enjoy it. That's the difference. There's a difference. But it is really important that you still are taking, like you said, those key concepts out of the book. And what I will do is books like that, uh, a book like Essentialism or Deep Work, I'll go back to them and I'll use them, especially when I need their message the most. And for most of these books, there's really only a couple of really critical pieces of philosophy. You could very easily go and take, these are popular, the, the notes of these books that you can summarize an eight-hour book on audio in 15 minutes worth of notes. And you can get the core message. I just enjoy reading the books uh, because I actually like reading the books. So with something like Extreme Ownership, you can summarize what that's all about very, very succinctly. And like you said, apply it. And I think it's actually one of the better ones out there. Andrew's my summarizer. I just get an Andrew. <laughs> that's my... See, yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the other option, Dean, is like, uh, you know how Ryan Halliday or I think it's Halliday or Holiday is Holiday. the deepest writer. Yeah, like Obstacle is the Way. You don't even need to read the book, just read the title. And that's well, the whole book, right? Is it's it's true, but the book is like 50 pages long. Or like, I don't <laughs> think that, one's, the, that one's not too long now. That again, one's actually like historically still my irony, but like that's still one of my favorite books. Yeah, it's one of mine too. So again, despite the fact that I do 80 ish books a year, Brad just volunteered two of my core philosophy books that embody almost everything that I do. 
It doesn't mean that I'm there trying to take information and utilize from every book that I read. In fact, I discard a lot of it because I realized, wait a second, this, it doesn't have any value. I read a book called Flip the Script recently by a guy named Oren K. And there was some hype about this book. This book is trash. Okay, This guy was completely <laughs> full of shit, making stuff up. I, I think he was embellishing a lot of stuff. And I took nothing from it. And I ditched it near the end. I'm like, this book is crap. Uh, there's a book called Ultra Learning that, again, there's a bit of buzz about. I read it halfway through. I'm like, this is nonsense. This doesn't apply. Subtle art of giving a fuck. That's garbage, too. Um, and I'm actually okay with being the Brad person. Brad likes all those books. Those are Brad's favorite and I books. Recently, I, I recently actually just put a post about Robert Greene's books. And I'm like, does anybody else like, think these books are actually really like overblown, okay. overrated garbage? And a lot of people popped up. How did like, you? Yeah. You got them so fired up. This is like the equivalent of like, <laughs> talking about religion and trashing people's religion. There's people where those books, like, you basically just alienated probably like 500 people. That's fine. So, like I, that book changed my life. I'll, I'll get I'll get down to some points. Like, but, like the whole Robert Greene thing is this buzz about the forty laws of power or whatever, and it's it's really negative. And he cherry picks his stories and his rules contradict each other. And it's all this other sort of crap. And his books are really long slogs of. They're, they're way too long. Like John Goodman said, oh, they're like 400 pages too long. And, okay, but what I will do is I will do this because I enjoy checking out these books. And then the people who come to me, like Dean, or like, hey, what do I need for this? I'm like, here, go read this. So there's a lot of value to give back to people so that way they don't have to go and waste their time and money on crap like uh, Flip the Script. There's a question here because basically a lot of these books cherry pick stuff. How do you, because you're essentially a researcher and I know you looked at a lot of stuff, how do you get past or help out the industry in a way? Because there's a lot of stuff in the fitness industry and the nutrition industry that's cherry-picked shit. Like, what's your way of combating, I guess, simple stories in that realm? Because that's what a lot of these books are. They're simple stories that, like, really aren't that helpful. You know, my philosophy has always been like I can spend all of my time trying to like battle the Hydra, right? Like cut off one head, another one pops up, or I can just figure out what's my message and try to have that reach as many people as possible. Right. And so, you know, trying to, trying to build your own narrative and story and get that to as many people is the approach I like to take instead of, you know, trying to, you know, dissuade everybody else from believing all the other stuff. Right. Cause it's, you can spend all of your time and energy combating everybody else's stuff. Um, and the only problem there is it never ends, right? And then you never spend any of your own energy building your own thing. You just become a critic. And happen, so this is, this is actually pretty relevant because like, th this has happened like twice now within this year between Goop and between the Game Changers. Is like, there's a lot of wasted time where only a few people capitalized on it in a way where they got the attention that probably they could monetize. But everyone else got stuck on trying to combat these things as opposed to just spreading a message that they believed in. They were just like fighting about dumb shit. Yeah. I mean, like when those things come out, I think, okay, it's going to take me two full days to write an articulate response, or I can spend two full days developing my coaches and getting more clients. Like, what's the much better ROI in terms of my time? And when you think about it, we know there's a handful of people in the industry who will probably do a great job of it. Lane yeah, is, exactly. Lane, Lane is reliable for taking this stuff down. Christian Thibodeau did a really great article. We had him on recently. We talked about that too. And this is something that I like to say in a broader uh, thing within coaching in the industry. 
there are so many brilliant individuals. You are a brilliant individual that I can reference for certain skill sets. So I'm not going to try to go and create and replicate the things that you're already an expert in. I will leverage your knowledge and I will send, you mentioned abundance uh, mindset earlier, Dean, where I will send the people who follow me or my clients to absorb the information share by. If I've got someone who wants to learn more about uh, training volume and hypertrophy, fuck, my kids are telling Renaissance periodization, that's easy. Uh, Brad. Yeah, I would never think to send <laughs> someone to go to Brett Contreras if they wanted to grow a bigger ass, right? Like God forbid we, we utilize a guy who spent 20 years researching and branding on that. So we have those resources out there. And so instead of trying to recreate that stuff, use and leverage the relationships and network you have. And I think that's why it's so valuable to, to know what books have what in it, what person has what information, because then that lets me turn around and spend my time and energy <clears throat> helping the person in front of me be better. And I will use those resources, but knowing about those resources is crazy important. It kind of goes back because I get passionate about the book thing. <clears throat> anyone who really, really, no, 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 but anyone who really it. aggressively shoots down the idea of reading more, I think they come from different places, but okay, not everybody has to do it. I still think it's a great idea to read. I think you're going to be a better person, but also at the same time, look at the people who influence you and ask, what are they reading? Right? What are the best pieces of information out there? And selectively focus on that stuff. But if you're not someone who can use and absorb 80 books a year, then don't try to be that person and don't feel bad about not doing it. But go and read one a month, do 12 a year, that really are gonna change your life. Anyway, I got us a little bit off topic, but. Andrew likes brand new books. I, we should have just pulled it into studies. Right? You read a lot of studies, don't you? Still, you still <laughs> like, are you still like up to date on all that shit? Like, I know there's not that much coming out, but there's like still a lot. Yeah, there's, um, I mean, there's, there's certain topics that I like have alerts for that whenever studies come out, I read them. Yeah. Um, but there, there's certain topics that we know enough about that anything more is just not really helpful. Right. Um, so like, you know, when we, when we think about, you know, something as simple as like how do macronutrients affect weight loss? I don't probably need to read another study on that. Like, you know, is it a thing? Like, it seems like there's a lot of reviews coming out. Like, yeah, like, not a lot of anyone like wants to take the shot at like finding new shit. <laughs> and I, I, I guess it's probably cost a lot of money, but it's just like, fuck, like another review about like, it, like you said, it's already been like beaten down and we get it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just kind of, you know, certain areas are newer and need more investigation and I keep up to date on those areas and, and other ones are, you know, like we've, we've done all of the primary literature investigations that we can do with the technology we have and anything more is just interpretation and it's like i probably don't need to read all that is there anything new and exciting coming up like are we talking about this like emerging technology but like is there any emerging i guess research stuff that excites you that maybe necessarily hasn't necessarily got a lot of attention um you know i'm pretty interested in the like precision medicine stuff that we're learning um you know a lot of the like what is big data telling us about like cancer individualized you know pharmacotherapy that kind of stuff is interesting um so i, I stay up to date on a lot of that stuff just because that was where i was at the end of my career before i left academia that actually <clears throat> that stuff comes up again i keep coming back to books people are getting mad but i just read a brand new book uh <laughs> the future is faster than you think by uh, peter d and mandis and stephen Kotler. 
and they talk about all these different tech things in the future and how these technologies converge. And there's a healthy portion about uh, individualized medicine, healthcare, uh, improved longevity, and all how like more processing power and other things, nanotechnology are all good and genetic understanding of genetic uh, code and how to maybe even alter genetic coding or, or stem cells. All these things come into play and they do a lot of talk about you know, individualized healthcare to the person so that way we live and we have a better quality of life. Yeah, and I think there's there's basically two different sides of that coin. One is I think there's a lot of value that we're going to get out of that and helping relatively healthy people live healthier lives and longer lives. I don't think any of that solved our major health issue, right? Like fundamentally we know cardiovascular disease, diabetes, um, hypertension, all that stuff. Any of this genetics and precision medicine around that is going to do virtually nothing, right? Like we've pretty much established what are the main causes of those diseases and how we treat those, right? And those become, huh? Lifestyle behavior. Lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, right? So how do we change? How do we change? You know, value structures. How do we change social environment? How do we change culture? Um, those sorts of things. Those are not necessarily medical precision medicine questions. Now. How do we take somebody like you or Dean and have them live to 120 versus 110? I think precision medicine, understanding genetic variants, um, understanding risk and things like that based on genetics, there's a lot of value there, right? But I don't think that's, that's not what's going to, you know, fundamentally cripple our society from a productivity and a cost standpoint. It would be interesting to see what happens. Like, I don't know what the long-term studies are like, but like, Right now, our I would say our environment's like the most hostile it's ever been. Like we just talk about Uber Eats and getting food. Like it's just so fucking easier. And it'd be interesting to see, like how much these disease rates grow. Like the stuff that we can control. Like how bad is it gonna get? Because like at this point, like healthcare. Like I don't know the numbers everywhere, but like it's getting nuts. I can't help but feel like we're going to approach a tipping point where, on a societal level, attitudes change to where people start valuing being more responsible for eating and their exercise. I mean, maybe that's just because we're immersed in so much that maybe we see more of it than your average person, but I just can't help feel like that it's going to tip. And I'm not saying that's going to change overwhelmingly or overnight, but I do have this confidence that it's going to start going in the right direction where we know it's probably been going in the wrong, dire wrong direction for at least 50 years. You know, I think... I think that's possible. Um, I, I think we have to hit rock bottom before we get there, right? It's kind of like, you know, when you're in a, a bad spot in your life and you know it's bad, but it's not bad enough to actually change it. And you kind of really have to hit some hard spot where it's like you, you have to change it or you're going to, you know, things are completely going to fall apart. I, I don't think we're there yet. And I think it's going to take that, right? Because for now, you know, we still have enough money to cover healthcare costs, right? Like we taxes still cover Medicare, right? At least in the United States, you Canadians who knows what you're doing up there. But um, yeah, so, but we're very quickly approaching, you know, healthcare costs are going to exceed GDP in the United States in the not too distant future, right? And then when, you know, people literally go to the hospital and are like, well, we, we can't afford to, to see you today. Um, 
you know, then it's going to be like, okay, now we really have to get our shit together. But I think we're always like they can prolong shitty life a lot longer now, which like you said, at some point, like they're not going to be able to afford it. And then it's like, oh shit, like I have to actually do it on my own, which then falls back to all the other stuff that works. But like, if you don't have to, like you can live as a very obese person with diabetes with medication, you can live way longer than you could in the fucking twenties. Yeah. And then, you know, what happens from that is now you end up with end stage renal disease, right? And then you're on dialysis for 10 years and now your life kit, like your lifetime medical cost is, you know, five and a half million instead of a quarter of a million. Right. So there's, there's all these things that are all these dominoes stacking up and it's going to get pretty interesting pretty quickly. Well, that's why I was interested, like where you're interested in, because like, that's a conversation that honestly, I don't think anyone has a solution to, but like even I work for Stronger, you work for Macrozinc. It's like the micro level, a lot of these organizations are the solution for like micro environments. But it's just like, I don't know if that's going to be incredibly hard to do on the macro level and almost impossible, like you said, unless shit like hits the fan. I have a really, yeah. I have a really irreverent thought. When is someone going to come along and create the company Micros Inc. and weaker you? <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to go for this one. I'm going to file two LLCs today. Micro, you know what? Micro wiki. <laughs> micro nutrient weeks. All, all, the, all the wikis about micros. Man, yeah. pulling our ideas. No, but I think, you know, there's, there's some systematic things we can do. Um, you know, I think things we can control are arming our professionals to be more of healthcare people than they are currently, right? Like, training nutrition coaches and getting policies in place to where they can actually provide advice to people. Right. Um, you know, I think that's steps. I think working on policy change to where, you know, like right now you can use your, you know, your health insurance dollars that you get from like, you know, your health savings accounts or whatever, or flex spending dollars at home in the U S but you can use those for things like, uh, you know, a chiropractor, or you can use them for a massage or you can use them for, you know, uh, psychologist, right? But can we use that for a personal trainer and nutritionist? Like, what's the biggest ROI in terms of health, right? I mean, obviously, mental health, getting a personal trainer and having a nutritionist. If you can use healthcare dollars and insurance for that instead of for your thousand dollar a month insulin prescription, where is the bigger ROI, right? And where are those discussions around licensure and stuff like that? Naturopath. That's yes, the, precisely. And acupuncture. That's this. There's speaking of research. There was like I don't, I didn't read the full thing, but it was like people use alternative medicine are like dying quicker with cancer. Like that that use like the actual healthcare system. I was like, is that like not known? Like like crystals and like needles isn't. <laughs> guys, but it was like it was like it was like a serious discussion. I was like. I'm so sad that that has to be like emphasized. I'm sorry. Like that is the societal problem is like the quick fix. Anyway, this is sort of related and unrelated at the same time. So you mentioned naturopaths. I I try not to be too unkind about the whole concept. There's like, there's like decent. So just this week, uh, T Nation in their story, they got over 300,000 followers, shared a picture in the name of a naturopath who was stealing T Nation articles, claiming them as his own, I think on his social media and or his website. Anyway, so it didn't say where this guy was. And like, you know, it's just T Nation, they're international. Anyway, so I looked and I did a Google search and I'm like, what the fuck? And I had to double check it. The guy's office is in my neighborhood. 
in Edmonton. So I'm like, huh, that's a small world. So first I, I didn't share his name. He went over I, I did not want people to go target the guy, but I shared it on my social media, just this coincidence. So of course, everybody's encouraging me to go and knock on the guy's door wearing a teenager shirt. He murdered like, him. Hell no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> He, he took his Instagram down when he got publicly called out for it, but uh, <coughs> that was just yeah. sort of just was one of these little pieces of comedy and small world shit. Couldn't believe it. What one minute from my house? How how, like, how stupid do you got to be to copy? I don't know. Like, could you imagine stealing like someone's like full blown article and just like switching the names out? Happens all the time. Like, but like that's so crazy. Like, has it ever happened to you, Brad, where someone plagiarized your work? I honestly have no idea. It's entirely possible. I just, I've never gone and like searched for it. We've seen like people like Sohee Lee's had her stuff plagiarized and people take different attitudes about it. It's sort of an interesting discussion of its own. Some people are really militant about going after it and some people take the attitude, well, you know, it's going to happen and like you could really stress yourself out over it. But at the end of the day, it's really not worth getting upset about. And I don't know who the hell said this and Tristan said a lot, but you know what? You've kind of made it if someone's fucking stealing your shit and putting their name on it. Yeah, I mean, we've I've had one instance where an article was, you know, somebody had copied and pasted it, and you know, my my interaction was just to contact them and be like, "Hey, I know this happened. You know, as a professional, I get you're busy and you're trying to make content. You know, if you ever want to share stuff with me in the future, you have carte blanche. Just say where you got it from. You know, and." Like I have no problem with people, you know, taking stuff that you you write and trying to speak to their audience as long as they just, you know, acknowledge where it's from. John Goodman was really he responded to it and his thoughts were, you know, hey, people generally aren't out to be, you know, bad people and sometimes it's an honest mistake. He described a situation where somebody had been plagiarizing, I think, uh, PTBC stuff, and turns out that he'd hired some sort of content agency who had stolen it. He had no idea what happened and he was horrified yeah. and turned around and fired and sued this company. Yeah. So, you know, stuff like that can happen. So it's, and, and I, Mark Fisher is the one who's behind this sort of line of thinking more than anyone else. Unconditional positive regard. If you go through life, basically not thinking that everybody is an asshole and out to do evil, you're probably going to have a better life overall. And guess what? Those people exist. But for the most part, you might give a lot of people the benefit of the doubt when they weren't trying to do anything wrong. They just were doing the best they could to do. You know, that's, I mean, that's generally my approach, you know, is give everybody the benefit of the doubt. You're going to get burned a couple of times, but don't, you know, don't let that completely change the way you interact with the world. And it shows with you too, because one of the things that we, we always talk about and joke about, <clears throat> but is that, you know, you're one of the real nice guys in the industry. You're positive and everybody really likes you. It's true. <laughs> you're just big smiling now. Uh, so, I bet you that goes a long way because the more and more time I spend in our industry, the more I realize that I, I've been more telling people recently to kind of shut off the news and shut off all the negative stuff on social media. I ruthlessly unfollow people who put out a lot of negative stuff. And because if you're even you watch the news and people say, oh, you need to be informed. Well, uh, how much does this stuff really affect your life directly? And couldn't you just take your positive energy and apply it to learning, being better, affecting the people's lives. Everyone got mad about J-Lo and Shakira. So I was like, Jesus. You know what? That's, that's silly because I've... Like, oh, but like people got... Like, what's with these I've, actually, I've never seen it. I hadn't seen a single negative thing about <laughs> them. All I saw was people sharing stuff, criticizing the people being negative. I did not see a single person being negative. So I think it was just one of these things that blew up 
where maybe a few people said something and then everybody was acting like it was a big deal. I don't think it was even a big deal. I think Brad was the one on Twitter. Like, all his memes. <laughs> In, in, his, in his burner accounts. Brad, Brad doesn't like plus 40 in shape. Like, he thinks it's cheating. Oh, you should have. That was, that's funny you bring that up. So after the after the halftime show, my wife and I spent like two hours arguing about who was better, Shakira or J-Lo. <laughs> Shakira, I thought Shakira was better. See, that's what I said. Yeah. Uh, but it was funny. We were like, it was probably two hours we just sat on the couch, like debating the finer points of, of each person in their career and looking up their net worth and what they've been in. And Well, I think J-Lo has more net worth, correct? Yes. J-Lo is worth, according to, I think it's celebsnetworth.com, $400 million and Shakira is $300 million. So but Shakira's that much? That's, that's impressive. This is I guess, I guess yeah. the Spanish market, though, is huge. That's what I said, international. Yeah. This is hysterical because this reminds me of something funny, and I, I've got to go back and, and tell this to my dad and remind him. So I remember when Shakira's first video, wherever, whenever, the one where she's shaking her ass in the mountains and all that stuff, came out. <laughs> Dad's like, wow, this girl's really talented. He broke into Andrew's bedroom. She's going to be a really big star. And I said, I remember saying, nah, you know what? It's just, it's just a video. It's just a one hit. You know, This girl will, will disappear right away. I was really wrong about that one. She was a monster see, superstar. See, what I thought about was, remember in uh, the Knocked Up, when all the, the older ladies went to the club, and he's like, I can't have a bunch of old bitches running around the club. And that's all I thought about the wow. Super Bowl show. I was, like, I was like, this is like basically like them going to the club, but like they smashed it. I was like, how? I didn't, I didn't honestly know that Shakira's 40. And I didn't, know, I didn't know J-Lo was that old. Like it's, it's, so, she's, well, like, she's, she's definitely an alien. This, this actually brings up something else. So one of the memes that has been shared and some people get kind of shitty about it is a picture of J-Lo at 50 versus like what looks like an L Rue McClanahan of the Golden Girls. Like this is 50 of the 80s. And it's got a couple of meanings. And of course, some people were negative about it because they're like, oh, you shouldn't be judgmental, whatever what anyone looks like. But you can do a lot to keep yourself healthier, stay active. And the basic message is, a lot of these life choices can really affect whether or not you look like J-Lo at 50. I've got a client. She's 50. Most people think she's in her mid-30s. She is insanely fit. She looks a lot younger. And that's because she's been really dedicated to great training. And she still has her wine and, and what have you, but she eats pretty well. But this stuff is still based in lifestyle choice. And I get the argument about not being judgmental about how <laughs> someone looks in any way, shape, or form. But I still think it's a good, important message to share that, guess what? If you actually are fit, if you work out regularly, if you're reasonably cautious about your nutrition, you don't smoke, well, you don't drink too much, guess what? You will age better, okay? Well, I, my biggest point was that like professional dancers who've had a career and that generally look good because they're active. Like find me a, like a professional dancer who's still like dancing that is like, looks I don't want to say obese, but like, like they, they, they look good for that age. And, but they were, but they had a whole career as like professional dancers and performers. Like that wasn't easy. Like I was like, how are they still singing? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I mean, still singing. <laughs> That's actually, I don't think Shakira. Well, maybe she was, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, it is. It is interesting how, you know, obviously genetics are one component of stuff, yeah. but you don't control that. Right. And so it doesn't matter who has what genetics it's, you, you don't get to choose that, but what you do get to choose is what are the choices you make between the ages of, you know, 18 and 50 and how consistent are those choices and what do you put value in 
And then when you're fit, it's, you know, I always, I always make the analogy with my clients of like your, your financials, right? Is you can either decide to invest 20% of every paycheck into your retirement account. Then when you're 50, you're either looking at, you know, a million bucks in your retirement account. Or if you decided, you know, I'm not going to start saving anything until I'm, you know, 35, then you're 50, you're looking at a hundred grand in your retirement account, right? So it's, how do you make these incremental investments throughout your whole life? And that makes a huge difference in what life is like from a you know, health and fitness standpoint and a financial standpoint when you're in your you know, 50s, 60s, 70s. You're so smart, Brad. Is that why James like did the financial, like him and Chad are doing the yeah. financial project is like basically because it's the same shit? Like, I think it's also a lot of, you know, just due to the nature of the work in our industry um, and, you know, the, the age demographic and just the type of, you know, contract work and all that stuff is I think it's not a skill that gets talked about um, mm -hmm. and that people don't, don't really have an understanding of. I mean, the financial world is not horribly complicated, right? But unless you spend some time trying to understand it, it can feel very alien. And so if you are a 20 year old personal trainer who wants to build a career out of it, having financial savvy to like build a foundation makes your likelihood of being a successful, you know, career fitness professional way better. I mean, imagine if you were 30 and you're like, man, I'm still making 50 grand a year and I have nothing in retirement and I have no money in savings or, you know, you're, you're 30 years old and you've got, you know, a 401k set up, you've saved money for a down payment on a house, you've got your financial house in order. You're like, this is great. Like I can have years where I make a lot of money. I can have years where I don't make as much money, but I can continue to do what I love. It's two very different situations. And so, you know, part of arming the next generation of fitness professionals is here is a skill you need to have to be able to be successful long-term. Oh, I think that's actually super important. Um, I think we'll just skip over that one question. Uh, we're going to talk more about, uh, you know, post-positive. Actually, shit, we'll ask it because I think it's still important. Um, you and I certainly did talk recently about something that you were going to invest in about putting more time and effort into those post-positive relationships in your life. So I, I was going to see what your thoughts were on how you feel about giving and, and just being positive in general uh, and how it's helped you in your career and kind of what you want to do with that. Yeah, you know... Um... I've always been a big believer of people will rise to the level that you expect them to rise to. Right. And so when you can really try to prop people up and give them big goals and help them along the way, generally people want to succeed. Right. Um, and if you can approach every person you work with, whether it's a client, whether it's your employee, um, you know, anything like that, the more everybody in that relationship is going to level up. Um, you know, there's, there's also the idea of, you know, kind of negative and positive emotion in relationships. And I've almost run into no scenarios where having a negative outlook on something is actually beneficial, right? I mean, there's a realistic view on things that sometimes you have to have, but then there's also the like, what's the best case scenario and how can we chase that, right? And I think that's always more effective than trying to run away from a bad scenario, right? And I think those are two very different, different approaches. Um, and then the last piece is, and I was having a conversation with an employee with this the other day, is the relationships that you have with people are a direct reflection of how you put yourself out in those relationships, right? Like, 
how much you give to somebody else is generally in return what you get back. And, you know, the more you can give your time and your energy and your expertise and your generosity to people, either that relationship directly is going to reflect back the same thing or the relationship you generate around that will reflect the same thing. Can I add something to that? Yeah. I, I like that. And I have a similar thought, but I, I look at it also a little differently. I think about it less in terms of all of the individual relationships, but just as the aggregate amount of positive energy you put into give help support more people. And I think that in a lot of those situations, it's not about keeping score with the one-on-one -on -one individual. And I yeah. know what you said. I think a lot of those people won't be able to quite give back. I've been able to help a lot of people's careers in ways they probably can't give back to me. But on the aggregate, some people will then disproportionately do more positive things. So I think collectively, if you give a lot across all of the giving you do, what will come back to you will be massive. Give it won't always be kind of one for one individually, but collectively you're just going to get a shit ton out of it. So what, what I mean by that is let's say someone, you give someone a lot, you give them a lot of help, but they're not able to give it back as much. That Don't let that stop you from helping that person or other people who don't reciprocate because it's the act of you giving is hopefully what makes you feel really, really good. It's not about what you get in return. The getting in return is just an added benefit of the action of having a very giving mindset. Yeah. And, and the other thing is you never know what that single act is going to do for later in their life, right? Like you may not hear from that person for 10 years. You may never interact with that person, but that one interaction may change the course of what they're doing, right? That, that piece of positive feedback, that 10 bucks you loaned them for gas money, the speaking gig you gave them, the writing opportunity you gave them. I mean, little things can really change people's lives, right? Um, like, for example, a, a, a like mentee of mine, you know, six or seven years ago, like I helped him out with some small thing and that led to like the job he's always wanted his whole life, right? And it was like, that one little thing, I didn't even think of much about it. And then, you know, 10 years later, I get an email saying like, hey, this set me up with this. And that really, you know, kind of springboarded. And I was like, that's cool. That's really cool to see. That's totally the butterfly effect of just some little action on your part. I, I absolutely agree with you. It could really enrich some someone's life. Um, someone just messaged me on Instagram who's a follower. And so they asked if I would, you know, spend a little time just on a call because they're a new trainer. I'm like, absolutely, right? And, She's like just crazy excited and couldn't even believe I said yes and super happy with it. And my hope is that what is ultimately less than an hour of my time is powerfully influential for her. And also it means a lot to her. Like it, she's just super happy. Well, and even if you're not altruistic about it and you want to be a complete psychopath, <laughs> but a lot of these things tend to, like, it, that could pay off in the future. And you don't get that opportunity to have these connections if you're not giving. Like you lose out on that because like you said, there's no situation where being a negative or like I call scarce, but if you like hoard shit, I just don't see many people that are that successful amongst their peers when they act like that. So even yeah. if you're not altruistic and you want to help people, you can still like, you can still leverage networking. Like people do it all the time in business as a transactional relationship that has nothing to do with giving back to the community. They, they do it because it works. Yeah. And, it, and that's not me being like a psycho. I'm just saying like yeah. generally like that is a, Here's, here's another thing to think about. And this is just so much for the listener. I hope you guys kind of answer this in your own heads. 
think about the people that you know in the social in social media, you know, your industry friends or whatever, and think about how much you enjoy and engage with the people who are positive and share mostly practical knowledge. This is one of the reasons why I say to people, get off the fucking news, because it's designed to make you angry. It's designed to make you outraged. Think about the people on your social media who are primarily engaged in talking about politics, about social issues, and, and how engage, how outraged they tend to be. Now, who seems like the happier people on your social media? Social media doesn't give you a true reflection, but it's good. Who's happier, and who do you find you are most engaged with and want to interact with more? The people who are consumed by the news media cycle, and what's going on, especially politically, or the people who bypass that stuff and are sharing a lot of positive things about fitness, about nutrition. And my answer is an obvious, the people who are positive about fitness and nutrition, because I find that on average, the people who are really engaged in the outrage are really negative and they seem unpleasant. And in my personal interactions with them, that's held to be mostly true. So for me, I just choose to bypass that stuff and I know a while back when I just completely turned off following any news media about politics, anything going on in Canadian or American politics, after the fact, I felt immensely better. I just felt more at peace, more calm, because I didn't let this stuff infect my existence anymore. And someone might argue, oh, you're coming from a privileged place where you don't have to care. I actually argue that none of this shit affects almost anyone. Right? Not everybody's going to agree with me on that point, but... I think you can take your energy and put it in a better place and make the world a better place. Hey man, I saw Pursuit of Happiness. He wasn't from privilege. It's like, that's like, like, it, <laughs> sorry, that's all I can think about. But like, that, that kind of is the Pursuit of Happiness to a T. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think you've, you know, one of the things that I've realized is you get to choose how you spend your emotional energy, right? Like, you and you have to guard that right because otherwise it just if, if you want to live the life you want to live you got to put some boundaries around it and you have to realize what threatens your you know emotional happiness and, and productivity and relationships and then operate in the world you want to operate in right somebody some people love to live in centers of drama and power struggles and you're right i'm, I'm right you're wrong etc and other people it's like I care about my work. I care about my relationships and I don't really need to get involved in that. Right. And you can decide what type of life and person you'll be. And some people thrive in some things and some people thrive on others. Ask the personal one. This is a great segue. So Brad, how have you been now that you're you know, immersed in macros Inc and, and new projects, how have you been able to turn that stuff off, set boundaries and enjoy your life with your wife and your dog? And uh, two dogs, two dogs. Yeah, two dogs. What do you do now um, in your recreational time? Um, I do not have good answers for that. I'm not. I struggle very much with kind of work personal boundaries. Um, you know, and I've kind of just embraced like my life's going to spill into my work, and my work's going to spill into my life, and I'm just going to do the best I can. And when it's like time to just shut things off and carve out specific time to be with my family. I'm going to do that. But, you know, I, I love the work that I do. I love being productive. I love having my life and my work kind of intermingle at times. Um, and that's just the way I'm going to live it, you know, and I'm not going to stress out about like, Oh, I didn't turn my phone off at six o'clock or, Oh, I've been answered an email on a Saturday. It's like, 
doing that for me causes way more stress than just kind of rolling with whatever needs to. I mean, there's, there's periods where it's like 16 hour days, seven days a week. And then there's some days where it's like, Hey, I got all my work buttoned up by 2 PM on a Friday. Hey, you want to go, you know, out somewhere and do something for a couple hours. Right. And just kind of letting life be what it is and not being so worried about what other people's expectations of what my work life balance needs to be. That, that was exactly, that's exactly what PJ said the one before this. And it was yeah. just like, we got in this discussion, but it's like all those like cutoff points and weekends and all that. It's all like a made up system, especially when you have the luxury, exactly. especially when you have the luxury to, I guess, work outside of that system, you can create your own work-life balance. And again, work-life balance is made up. It's fucking made up. Yeah. It's like, it's like whatever works. And I, I said this last episode and I reiterated just what you're heard it twice. You know, I like the idea of having a career that I don't need a vacation from or that I want to shut off. I hate the idea of the proverbial nine to five job and you come home and you're like burnt out and you hate your job and you have to separate it. Like, I love what I get to do. Uh, last night I was doing some online coaching programming, got 45 minutes before bed and then I opened up a book on some training stuff and then, then I went to bed and that was actually a pretty chill evening for me. So yeah, I don't want to have a job that I need to take regular vacations from only to dread coming back to it. Yeah. And you know, I, I think it's, and a lot of it is what do other people expect from you? Right. And you just have to realize like, it doesn't matter. Right. I mean, what works for your life, what works for your relationships. Um, you know, you know, one of the companies that I own, like we had an employee who ended up leaving because like our work culture and his values didn't match up. Right. Like his idea was like, Hey, here's the hours, not answering the phone call outside those hours. And like, you know, he was like, this is what I need. And we were like, you know, that's just not the way we're going to operate. And so, you know, we just kind of went separate ways. And the same thing with relationships, right? If, if, you know, like my wife's a nurse, she works nights. So there's weeks where she's, you know, she's working nights and I don't see her. And it's just, it's just life, right? And it's like, okay, we're going to operate in a way that works for us. And we're going to live our life in a way that, you know, works best for those people. And some people it's like, Hey, those, those work hours, they just want to have nine to five. And, um, you know, they want to shut things off and they want to shut things off. And that's great. Like for a lot of people, that's a really good way to live. And for other people, it's like, they're just not wired that way. Now there's some people who are wired like as soon as I get up, I'm working until 10 p.m. at night and that's what makes me satisfied. Cool. You gotta remind people. I was gonna fine. I was gonna try to make a joke about but I'm not going to make that joke. I was gonna make some people like like doing meth and staying up till three in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I bet their house is super clean. And then, and then like, they don't want to go to bed, so they just don't, and then they just keep they go back to work and there's and those, well, unless they die young, they tend to be trains on the medical system and they definitely don't look like JLo at 50, so. That's definitely true. There was the, side note, there was the guy, did you see the one, the guy from the Mighty Ducks? Oh God. Yeah, like yeah. They had the Mighty Ducks do the goalie. The goalie. The goalie and they oh, showed him, Goldberg. Like, yeah, yeah. And they showed him like, he had like a mug picture like a, like, of him, like clearly, I think he got arrested for drug charges, yeah. but he was like strung out on meth and like, he looks so different and he's not that old. No. He's, I think oh, he's actually shit. a little younger than me, and he looks. 60. He looks sixty-five, yeah, like at least. And it's just like some people that that works. Like he, it, he may live a long life. It just he lived it fast, and it was work. Um, and he was part of one part of one of the greatest movies of all time. 
they're, 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 they're making it again. What? Emilio Estevez is coming back no, to be the coach. No. So I don't know if it's a movie or a series, but they're actually rebooting by the uh, You know who's going to be in it? I bet The Rock will be in it some way. He'll be Dude, like, that would be awesome. Yeah. Like, he has to be part of it. Is he it Disney? Like a posing coach. Is it Disney? I don't know. If, if, it's, I so. if it's Disney, Rock could definitely be part of it. That would be sweet. Yeah, that would be sweet. Yeah. Emilio Estevez, what's he, like 80? Yeah, he'd be in his 60s, I think. Holy shit. Yeah, he's coming back. I, th- I think it's signed and sealed. It's just in production. It's, it's in production or, or about to. So um, where do people find you? Where's the best place to find you now? Um, Facebook. Just look up my name. You can find me at macrozinc.net. Um, you can find me on Instagram. You can find me at our, our biotech company. Um, harnessbiotech.com is one of them and the other one is lactigo.com so you want to give yes. your personal cell phone number out well um <laughs> yes no, no don't do that jordan Syed does that which is nuts but uh i don't think brad wants to do that but what here's a little hint that i'll burn both you guys on this most of the facebook friend requests i get from people i don't know like guys in India and shit like this. Rest. You guys have them on your friends lists. Well, you two will accept any yeah, friends. We, because of the giving thing. Like we wanna put out positive stuff and like give people the benefit of the doubt. But they're not Brad, how, how have you not had five thousand friends yet? Um, because I get to that limit and then I just go through and delete a bunch of people that I don't know and then it fills back up and then I delete stuff. The thing is it's like I just don't like people are like, oh, you're friends with so and so. I'm like, I don't have the time to monitor the five thousand <laughs> random people that I don't know on Facebook. Like, well, there was a point where I just accepted it because it was easier, and now I just have like fifty requests. Like, it, it keeps growing. It's like, well, like it, it was I actually should, less stressful to just accept. I should pull up how many pending friend requests are there. I have eight hundred and eighteen <laughs> unresponded to friend requests. <laughs> and you know what? Within there, there's probably like at least half a dozen people. Who like you know who really like you? Yeah, they want to. They want to. Yeah, but like, oh, here's somebody who James Krieger and I are mutual friends. That's good. (laughs) 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 That's it. It's it's always fun. Thanks for, uh, Brad. Thanks for being on. We we love having you on here. So that's great. Anytime. Maybe 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 I'll pull some strings and and make it down to Spokane to see it in May. Yeah. Dean, are you coming to Spokane? I am probably not coming to Spokane. Oh. I planned out, so I went, I, I fucked, I didn't fuck up, but I basically <laughs> planned to go to Ben's Costa Rica thing, and then, okay. and then I'm going to Texas, and it's just like, two, like I can't do three trips. Okay, days. well, then we can't take you for a ride in the V10, but. but. Yeah, Ooh. but you'll have a better car next time, like maybe two. Like, because I'll probably. Hopefully. That's actually that's actually the goal. So we'll see how it comes out. I'll, I'll be there if I don't make it this year. I'll be there in twenty twenty one for sure. And side note, like you, it's a Lamborghini, right? Yeah. Making fun of we were just <laughs> making fun of fitness coaches who post with their Lamborghini, and like you're getting in that realm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the uh, the funny part is it's basically just due to another company I own. So. No man, you're trying to sell six figure coaching businesses that easy. You own online, Dude. you work online. Like that's you're basically that person. No. If I ever do that, please just come to my house and slap me. I would do that. If yeah, it, it's gonna look like that Russian slap fighting. You ever seen the video of like the, the little guy with the tattoos and the black eyes? That would one hundred percent be you and me. <laughs> well, actually the, the other guy looks just like Greg Knuckles, so I would get Greg Knuckles to do it. Can you imagine being slapped by Greg Knuckles? 
Uh, that would be scary. Your soul would leave your body. Yeah, that would be bad. And he would have all the angles calculated, and like, yeah, he would he would definitely hit you right on the button. So if oh. anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, just go Google Russian slap fighting, and it's like Google something like little tattooed guy gets slapped, and you're gonna see this. And then the big Russian guy, he looks just like Greg Knuckles. He's wearing the same blue shirt that Greg always wears. And then there's some later video of that guy getting knocked out by some dude, and that's terrifying too. All right. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. It's great to have you back, Brad. Uh, You're always welcome back anytime. And for everybody who's tuning in, if you're actually new to us and the first time you've actually listened to Brad, we've got him on tons, like you said. So go check out his episodes we have with James Krieger. And, yeah, go check out other James Krieger episodes. He's a blast. And hopefully you stick around and uh, check out more of our stuff. Thanks a lot. All right. See you guys. Shut up and sit down.